Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey, and welcome back to the podcast. This week, I am joined by Wade Trong and Rachel Owen of Elevated Wild. Elevated Wild is a Instagram account, a website, a brand that I've been following for probably about three years now. I was immediately struck by it, by the, by the quality of the content they were producing, by the phenomenal recipes they were posting, and just kind of by the overall ethos that was apparent and everything that these two folks do. I think a couple years ago, I reached out to them and asked if they wanted to talk on the phone. And I, I talked to both of them independently. And that's kind of been going on for a couple years now. And then this conversation was recorded at the tail end of a, an event I put on every year at Black Duck Revival called The Revival. It's, a, it's just a, a time when, usually a weekend or something like that, that I take... Uh, to invite people that I appreciate or admire or just want to hang out with and hunt with. And uh, I bring them out. We hang out and cook and kind of fellowship and get to know one another. And it was really kind of a weird deal because I felt like I was already friends with these folks, even though I had never really even laid eyes on them before. So uh, this is a fantastic conversation with two people that uh, I admire very much and respect very much. And I think that if you aren't already familiar with them, you'll come out of this uh, this conversation feeling uh, a similar way that I do. So we'll just go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rachel and Wade of Elevated Wild. Welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. I am sitting in the Black Duck bungalow, my Shangri-La when in Brinkley, and I'm joined today by Wade Trong and Rachel Owen of Elevated Wild, based in Virginia. Uh, these folks came up for an event I put on, this is the third year in a row, called The Revival. It's basically just a hunt that I do with people that I think are interesting or thought provoking or are doing like cool and important stuff and that I like to follow that I'm fans of that I admire in some way. Uh, these are both folks that I've been talking to like on the phone and on the internet for a couple of years now. And I kept begging them to come out and finally I wore them down and they came out to hunt birds and cook and wash dishes and, Hopefully have a good time, but Wade and Rachel, welcome, and thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jonathan. You got it, dude. So, uh, man, we've had really good conversations so far this week, and I feel like uh, many of them, I'm glad, are not recorded and just exist in our minds and in the ether. But for this one, I've kind of been thinking about like what I wanted to talk about, and I came to the conclusion that I have no idea. Uh 
you guys are just both super interesting to talk to you. You've got really fantastic and interesting perspectives. And like we were just kind of talking about uh, before we ate a late breakfast there, I'm so appreciative of you guys because for many different reasons, but, you know, one reason being that in this space, this outdoor industry space, uh, I feel like there's often like a lot of points of disconnect I encounter with people because, you know, I'm dealing with people that have spent their entire lives like rock climbing or skiing or doing these things in the outdoor industry. Uh, and that's not what I like grew up doing. You know, I grew up playing in bands and working in restaurants and uh, taking cigarette breaks and stuff, you know, and which is like kind of seems like kind of like a little bit of a dirty secret these days, but that's what I grew up doing. And those were the people I was around. And you guys both spent a lot of time in the restaurant industry, uh, kind of freshly out of it, it seems. And there's just a, I don't know, kind of like a perceived grit. I, I kind of, I feel there that I feel like a little bit of a kinship towards, uh, but beyond that, uh, this brand that you have, this brand that's like developing and has been growing for a couple of years, Elevated Wild, uh, you know, in just a second, I'm going to ask you guys to like describe that and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. But uh, like, just first, let me say it's, it's like a, it's an entity that I really, I dig so much because I like look at it with some sort of kinship, but also like with admiration like the the level of skill and execution that's brought to it, I really appreciate the the level of thoughtfulness and the intent behind it is is super resonant for me and uh you know I don't know just like everything I see you guys do it makes me feel really good and it it kind of like inspires me and like makes me you know just like like I told you like every time you do something cool, I'm like, damn, I wish I'd done that first, and it's cool that there are people that uh exist you know, that can make you feel that way. And, uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. Whoever wants to go first, why don't you guys just talk a little bit about maybe like what elevated wild is. We'll get in all sorts of, uh, all sorts of like, uh, rabbit holes, so to speak. But yeah. So like just what's elevated wild. Why do you guys do it? What's it about? So kind of Wade and I, neither one of us grew up hunting and, the thing that ultimately drew us into the hunting world was food. And, you know, we, we wanted the ability to source our own proteins and get our hands dirty and just have a say in the way that our food gets to the table. And one of the things that, you know, when we first got started was kind of in its infancy was the wild foods movement. And so, you know, we wanted to be able to contribute to that movement and be able to kind of put out there the recipes as well as just kind of our story of what it's like living our life in the outdoors. And so, you know, we started our website. Um, we started at first strictly just posting recipes. Now we do a mix of kind of recipes and essays. Um, but it's, it's a way for us to kind of share our love for the outdoors with people. And we really feel like the food, it, it bridges a lot of gaps between people. You know, you can get non-hunters interested in hunting with the food. And, you know, there are a lot of hunters out there that maybe don't necessarily know what to do with their game or they've got some tried and true stuff, but they want to try something new. And so just kind of expanding people's horizons 
and you know bringing new ideas to the table was kind of how we got our start yeah i think there's there's no disadvantage to having more perspectives on a subject matter or anything really you know like like rachel said both of us are you know non-traditional hunters you know first generation we taught ourselves we taught each other you know like we worked together we didn't know anybody hunted and you know it started with food and our desire for food and our just you know curiosity of wild food and it's kind of developed into an, an entire lifestyle where it's like it's changed us so much that you know we we can see the benefit of it like what we do and what other people are doing you know, helping people out and just making them ask questions you know i think asking questions and questioning the norm is you know the best thing you can do for yourself you know that's how you grow that's how you you know just kind of become a more well-rounded person you know like we're here today right like because you found us interesting we found you interesting and we're like here we are we're meeting up with somebody in arkansas freezing weather with guns and we're like we're having a great time you know we're like spilling our guts drinking yeah. coffee it's meeting strangers on the internet yeah no it's lots <laughs> of lots of gut spilling yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's it's just you know i think when you're around people that share something in common it's it makes it a lot easier to connect with them become vulnerable and you know, have these conversations that like you know i don't know you just wouldn't have otherwise you know you have these you build these relationships around something that we have in common and i think food is something that everybody has in common you know everybody's got to eat and if you can sit around with people and share a story share a meal i mean that's the best starting point i think for anything any relationship yeah man it's i almost man i almost want to skip over some of that because it's like it's well said and I think it's something that's like pretty easily like understandable to people, you know, like food is a, is a connecting point. Like it's a, you know, it's the bridge between cultures. It's like this connection between people and families, all this stuff. Um, and I think, I think we will, we'll talk more about food. I kind of want to circle back to what I find what I found like initially so interesting is because like, so say like Wade specifically. So this is like one, this is kind of like a Capulet and Montague relationship because you guys were like front of the house and back of the house and in a restaurant. And, uh, you know, I was a decidedly back of the house person with many biases and prejudices against the front of the house. Uh, and you know, perhaps this is like just some of my perceptions, but like, Wade, I like, I really view you as kind of, you know, like, dare I say, like Bourdain-esque, right? Like, and it's this way of, to me, it's like this super authentic and, you know, if I'm really going to say it, like the way I think you should come up in a kitchen to where you like kind of earn your way in, there's like this real blue collar I mean like a lot of analogous stuff to like a construction site you know there's like rough talk and hazing and and pushing of people and you know there's like tattoos and like you know people that have been in prison and like maybe if you had like taken like just a different turn you could have ended up like that and I'm not saying you in particular but just 
anybody. I kind of feel like that. I mean, you're my pretty life. pretty spot on so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like you know, hanging out by dumpsters and staying up late and like drinking and just all of these things that are kind of like this like romanticism, this like Kerouac esque kind of lifestyle. Uh, and like we've talked about some of that, like you, you definitely performed on a much higher level than I ever reached in a kitchen, but all of that stuff was, that was how I worked in kitchens. Uh, and that's probably enough said about that. I, I think it's real interesting too, is that it seems like this, this immersion in the outdoors, this immersion in hunting, this like finding proficiency in those spaces has kind of taken you out of some of maybe like more of the, some of the more deleterious aspects of that like kitchen lifestyle. And like, we've been talking about it this weekend, like kind of like allowed you to like take a breath and a step back and to breathe and to like make a very deep seated analysis of what you value and who you want to be and how you want to interact with the world around you. It's not really a question there. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, just to be clear, I, I, the uh, the restaurant industry is definitely not glamorous, and it's definitely, you know, I do regret a lot of things I did to get things done. You know, and I think that's honestly, I think that's that led to where I am now, which is, you know, I love being outside, and I love the perspective it's given me, and I love, you know, like this lifestyle and this like mindfulness that I've kind of acquired over time. And it's like, I was able to step back and be like, what parts of this previous career did I actually enjoy? You know, like I didn't enjoy getting up and working 18 hour days, you know, seven days a week. Like nobody enjoys that. Like anybody tells you they enjoy that is lying, you know? And, but at the problem solving, you know, the, the creative aspect, like all this stuff that like, we like to do now, you know, it's like, we're going to go figure out this species. We're going to figure out how to make this food. How do we tweak this? Like all that part, you know, it's like trial and error and failure. You know, there's a lot of failure, you know, hunting is mostly sure. failure. Like only like 1% of hunting is pulling the trigger. You know, it's like, it's all the other work that goes into it. And like the prep work really, you know, it's like, that's the, that's the stuff that I was like, always proud of. And you know, it's, it feels good to be doing something that you're proud of and that you pour your heart into and you know, you're passionate about, you know, like you can feel that when you walk into your place, you know, it's like, this is, this is you, you know, like this is, you know, not that I think a innate object, like a house could be a person, but like it is, it is very much a representation of what you value and how you view hunting and how you view the world and how you view people and relationships. And it's, you can feel that it's awesome. You know, like it's good to be around you know, people that have different perspectives, but also like know how to be who they are. You know, like if, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling now, but no, man, I like, I actually, I take that as high praise and I really appreciate that. Cause yeah, it is. It's like Cromwellian, you know, like warts and all kind of a deal. Like, uh, Douglas, this dude that was here yesterday that hunted for one day and had a boogie back to Kansas City, uh, 
he was asking me like what do you see what do you think about when you see this place and i was like i see everything that's like wrong i see everything that i could have done better uh and part of this is like me getting to be all right with that you know like me being all right with the fact that you know these buildings were the best i could do at the time that i did them and that they're a work in progress and you know like so am i like i'm trying to present like the best version of myself that i'm possible that that it's possible for me to execute at any given time but you know hopefully if i'm doing that well uh you know very shortly after that i'm bothered by how i presented previously right uh, I, I think that's kind of like the idea of like an upward trajectory and like growth and personal exploration and all that stuff uh so like how how exactly is Elevated Wild set up? Because like I know that like Wade is Wade left his career like as an exec, and you know you're doing this kind of sort of full time part time, and then Rachel you have a career in like an outside sector, uh, like a more kind of traditional career path, but like you're still very much involved in this. So yeah, how how is this balancing act kind of set up and uh, how do y'all approach approach it? You I think- know, they always say like you should never date your coworkers. And I think that's generally really good advice. Um, you know, Wade and I, you know, the back of house, front of house thing that you mm-hmm. alluded to earlier. Um, you know, I think there's actually some merit to that. Um, and I think that the the one thing that I've taken away from our time working together in restaurants is that we do really well working together. And that's something that not not every couple has. And so when we decided to launch Elevated Wild, you know, it was always an understanding that Wade would take the forefront of the recipe development. But I mean, I'm I'm a very good cook as well. And I do help him with the recipe development. And some of what you'll see on the website are my recipes. And so I have a hand in some of the, the creative aspect of it. Um, but I also, I built the website. Wade does all the photography. Um, I do all the proofreading. Wade does the bulk of the writing, but I do some of the writing as well. And so we each just kind of play to our strengths as far as, you know, what we're capable of doing, where we want to stretch and who's going to be best able to handle that with the, you know, amount of time that we have available to us. Yeah. I mean, there were, here's an example from the time we worked together. Like you don't send me out to talk to a table that's upset about something. You know, yeah, you yeah, said yeah. Rachel, like she'll, yeah, I, I should get that. Yeah. She'll smooth it out. I'll, you know. You'll, you'll be out there breaking ribs out yeah. in, in the back alley, yeah. <laughs> Dude, you know what I loved about that answer from you, Rachel, was uh, you said, I'm a very good cook as well, which is, it's kind of indicative of, like, something I sensed, like, the first time, like, we spoke on the phone, because I, I don't even know, like, how I had the chutzpah to do this, but somehow, like, a couple years ago, I was like, I want to talk to you on the phone, Wade, and then I was like, I want to talk to you on the phone, Rachel, and I remember going back to my wife, Marianne, after I talked to Rachel, and I was like, man, I was like, this lady's got a super, po- like, tangibly powerful voice, like, she could make me do things, because her voice, like, carries weight, and I love that you didn't, uh, you didn't play into like this kind of false humility and this like I'm I'm you know I'm supposed to take this feminine background step 
to Wade, who had this maybe like more legitimizing job in the culinary sector, you're like, I'm a damn good cook as well. <laughs> and like some of this stuff is me as well. Uh, no, I mean, that, that, that's hard to come by. I will say that. that's something I'm always working on. It's not my, it's not the way I was socialized. It's not the way that the culture tends to reward women, you know, being assertive, you know, kind of owning your own accomplishments. And it's something that I've really had to work at to get to the point where I'm like, yeah, you know, I am, I'm good at cooking, like deal with it. You know, it's okay. Um, but uh, thank you. I'm glad that that you did not find that off putting. No, 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 no. It's not off putting at all. It's, you know, and it's, we kind of talked about this the other day, like, and I feel very much like this in, uh, in my marriage and, you know, in my like longstanding relationship that, uh, like I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I think I'm probably like simultaneously like, uh, enamored with and frightened by like really strong women, you know, but like in either way, it's, it's like a, it's a motivating factor in my life. You know, like I'm married to like an incredibly, powerful lady uh who you know and selfishly like i I probably use as like a a a point of motivation you know in some ways like maybe i couldn't be better for myself all the time but like i i don't have a choice but to be better than i was if i want her to stick around with me you know so and, and shit man like this space you know is it's obviously it's like it's the the power structure is is masculine you know and i think that is also oftentimes a point of weakness because like you were you guys were talking about at the very beginning of this it's it's a lack of perspective like when we were driving out to the field today we were uh doing some duck hunting this morning and you were talking rachel you were talking about uh perceptions of women in the outdoor space and you really brought to light something I didn't think about like because you were talking about this idea that like girls get cold and and I I realized when you're talking about like I kind of think that you know like I'm I think I'm kind of conditioned to think that like girls are like I'm cold and I'd love if you don't mind like kind of repeating that explanation for that because it really gave me a, a, a lot of room to think about something that I hadn't thought about before as far as like what women's clothing is like. Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, I, I did not grow up in an outdoor space. We go camping occasionally, but that was pretty much it. And you know, the first couple of times that I went out with Wade in the field, I was so uncomfortable. And the only thing that got me through it was me just being stubborn as hell and not wanting to show weakness. But the thing was I was going out in a pair of blue jeans and I assume that your listenership is mostly male, but they might not be. So I'm sorry, ladies, I'm going to have to explain this to the guys, which is that women's jeans are very different from men's jeans. They're stretchy. They're elastic. They're not really like this tough, resilient denim. It's like a no pockets. Yeah, no pockets, no nothing. So you're walking through a bunch of briars and these things are digging into your skin, right? They're letting all the wind through. There's, there's nothing to them. It's like you're wearing tissue paper and same with even just wearing a pair of ballet flats to go to the grocery store. If it's cold out, your feet are numb. And so if your day-to-day existence, running errands, going to work, being cold at the office, you know, you're always cold, you're always uncomfortable. And so, you know, you look at going duck hunting and you're like, why would I ever voluntarily sign up 
to go outside in 20 degree weather when I'm freezing my ass off at 70 degrees in the office. But I think that what a lot of people don't realize is that women's clothing across the board is just trash. It's, you know, polyester, it's, you know, all these synthetic blends that are not designed to keep you warm, keep you comfortable. And so I think that a lot of women are very turned off to the idea of spending time in the outdoors because they can't imagine being happy, being any more uncomfortable than they already are. And it doesn't help that up until very recently, there was almost no outdoor gear tailored to women that was worth a damn. I mean, you know, I spent my first couple years out in the field thinking that it was completely normal to be numb from the knees down every time I went out. Like no matter what, I was wearing a youth extra large pair of bibs and a pair of uninsulated work boots from Harbor Freight. And I was like, well, this is as good as it can get. And the only reason I stuck it out is because like I said, I'm really stubborn and I really wanted to do this. But if you have a woman in your life that's kind of on the fence or maybe a little bit interested in going out, but you know, you're worried that she's going to be uncomfortable or that she's voiced a concern about being uncomfortable, you know, you have to realize that a lot of that comes from our daily lived experience of being uncomfortable. And, you know, I'm not shilling for anything, but having actual gear has completely changed my experience in the outdoors. And it's only been in the past couple of years that you've been able to even find that. So when you're talking about women in the outdoors and recruiting women into the hunting sphere, you have to really consider that up until very, very recently, you were asking a lot more of the ladies than you were of the men when you asked them to go out in the duck blind, just full stop. Yeah, that's a, uh, it is, you know, even like with all the talking about like my, you know, whatever, my unique perspective in the space, like, yeah, that's something I hadn't, I hadn't really considered. Uh, and it, it was, I'll tell you what else was cool about it is like my initial reaction was I wanted to almost like make a comment to like, I don't know, I guess probably like minimize that a little bit. Like, oh no, it's not. And then I was like, dude, shut the hell up and listen. And it was like, well, yeah, that makes total sense. You know, like, I mean, there's like even a thing on like TikTok and Instagram about like, uh, that dresses don't have pockets. Like just the lack of utilitarianism that you're talking about with like women's clothing. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I think it's something to consider and it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a perspective adjustment. Yeah. I mean, I had the same initial like kind of defensive reaction you did when Rachel explained this to me years ago. I was like, well, you know, it's not my fault, you know, but uh, like, I didn't understand it. It's like women's clothing, you know, day to day is designed for form over function. You know, I can wear a hoodie lined, you know, thick pants during the winter and boots. And it's like, I look normal. That's like expected of me to be functional and comfortable. Mm -hmm. But like, you look at what, you know, Rachel has to wear to work or, you know, most women have to wear around. And it's like, yeah, that's like, silk weight you know it's like the super thin lightweight gear it's not designed to you know take briars be in the rain be in the cold it's like you know you're supposed to look good first you know comfort is just something that you know, we don't even consider you know it's like it's not something that's valued and like i said i, had, I was like oh well, you know it's not my fault you know it's easy i think to be dismissive of something that you don't understand because like 
you realize it's a problem and like you've not been helping it <laughs> but it is it is what it is and the best thing you can do is just like kind of listen to it and take it in from somebody else's perspective you know like we grew up all of us here had very different upbringings and like listening to each other each other's different perspectives like sometimes it's like a little jarring i'm like well that's not my experience but you know listening thoroughly and like trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes like that's where i you know that's that's where I, all my all my personal growth has come from just having conversations and listening to people who have different views than me because if i just listen to myself or was in an echo chamber and i just look for people that told me what i wanted to hear i'd be right all the time and i wouldn't change at all right yeah, it's and, and I'm not trying to dance around this like alternate facts kind of thing, but like truth is kind of relative and a matter of perspective in some ways. You know, like uh, we were we were talking about earlier, like the difference in our experiences with like certain authority figures, right? Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying not to alienate people, uh, and it's like my truth on that is different than your truth. Yeah. You know. Uh, and and yeah, it doesn't mean one of us is right and one of us is wrong. It's just we have different experiences, you know. And I think you take it, you take it with that. It's like in this very narrow context of me being me, this is my life experience. And then your life, it's been different, you know. Like, and I, I don't know. I I think it's easy for people to just you know lump things into groups, like you know duck hunters do this, you know these people do that cooks do this front house does this back house does this and it's like we're we're all people we all have very different perspectives very different upbringings very different life experiences like today for example like you know oh, actually i guess it was yesterday morning we were running you're like yeah, this is a pretty frustrating duck hunt and i was like dude i've never seen this many birds in my life like this yeah this is something <laughs> this is something if you saw this in virginia where we're hunting you would you'd shit yourself like this this does not happen you know just pintails everywhere birds dumping in you know just just there was never a point in time the entire day even when we were packing up where there were not birds swinging around somewhere pretty close by in earshot of a call you know i was like you know after 30 minutes in the marsh where we hunt it's like we can stick it out and there might be a loader bird circling around but like it's over. You know, you got 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and sometimes you shoot a couple birds, and that's a pretty good day. But out here, it's like, not. I'm sure it's not like this all the time, but, man, like, what you thought was tough, late season, possibly mediocre, is just unimaginable, you know, from my perspective. And we were just duck hunting last week. You know, it was like a pretty good day. We saw birds for like 45 minutes, you know exceptional day yeah it was i was like i was texting everybody i was like man dude there were birds working all the way until like eight o'clock <laughs> nuts <laughs> yeah 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 no i mean and you know to be fair part of that is man it's it's a real it's a really different experience uh to try and be providing good hunts for people oh i'm sure like the pressure it like last year was kind of like the first year i was doing it man and it really messed with me because like the effort 
to have a mediocre hunt is not any different than the effort to have a, a really great hunt. Like, honestly, a really great hunt's easier. Uh, and, but like, you're trying to manage people's expectations and you want people to have a really good experience. And, you know, especially people are like, they're giving you their hard earned money. And so you want to give them value and like a good return on it. And, you know, part of that, and, and look, this whole thing has been built out purposely to where hopefully there's enough value in all the other things that people experience when they come to Black Duck Revival that, you know, if we didn't get full limits one day, that, that, that they still see it as like a worthy uh, expenditure of energy. But, yeah, man, I'm stoked to hear that because sometimes I forget that. Like, I for, I remember starting and just being stoked if I got like one bird. If I killed one bird and my dog picked it up, it was it was worth driving an hour and a half and walking through briars and doing all that stuff. And that's a really good attitude adjustment or a perspective adjustment for me. Cause I don't want to lose that. Uh, I don't want to start thinking that like wood ducks are, are second best to mallards and that it only matters if you can put these big stringers of birds up. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we've been talking about this all weekend, but like, I think it, it helps. It's healthy. Right? I would say that to just step back and be like, does this make me happy? Would I be happy without these other external pressures, right? Like if I was just doing this and there was no money on the line, are these my friends? You know, like like any day I'm hunting with my friends is a good day. I, mean, we, I, I've, I don't know how many hunts we've gone on in the years where it's like there's not a shot fired. You know, we're just like we just spend four hours in a marsh eating donuts, drinking coffee, and just, you know, spilling our guts you know i was like i would do it again you know like the expectation is not i need i need stringers you know of green heads i need this to prove that i'm doing this it's like am i having a good time am i having fun am i enjoying myself and it's like it's easy i think to lose perspective you know like you know lifestyles inflate expectations inflate and I think it's just healthy to take a step back and be like, am I stoked? And like, am I still stoked on what I'm doing? Whatever it is. And it's like, I don't want to do things I'm not excited about. Like, we both, you know, we left the restaurant industry because we weren't stoked on it anymore. It was like, this was, this was it became unfun. You know, it became un, unbearable, really. But we're doing something that we want to do now and i don't know that feels good you know like it's just whether it succeeds or fails or i mean we don't even know what what the end goal is it's just like we like doing it you should do it yeah no that's i think that's super important is that like you're defining success as is like you're just you're defining success as finding satisfaction in like the day-to-day you know, like I, I do think it's important to try and, you know, have some long term kind of goals or like have uh, something to be striving. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not saying you, you that's not a good idea. And I think having a plan, having a goal is, you know, that's the best way to get to what you want. Right. It's like, hey, if I do this and do this, do this, I'll get to where I want to be. But, you know, I think, you know, it, it's I think we both all of us here, you know, we're, we're pretty critical of ourselves. You know, it's easy to just be like, I could be doing better, you know, like 
Yeah, we talked yesterday about like yeah. the crippling self doubt. Yeah, no, like you know, like I could be, you know, I don't know how many years I watched people eat and I made food for them, and for every every thousand positive reviews or you know compliments, you know, you get one negative one, and that's the one you think Ooh, about. You know, I was like, that's man. the one that like, yeah, you know, we'll put out. I remember you know, restaurant week, we put out like three hundred plates in like three hours in a kitchen that's smaller than this kitchen. You know, it was like a 10 by 10 box. Everybody's coming by, great meal, blah, blah, blah. But then one person goes on Yelp and writes a negative review. And then that's the one I hear about first. And that's the one that I'm like, I'm dwelling on all week. You know, it's like, and it's, you just got to step back and be like, 99% of people had a great time and they went out of their way to say so, you know, like everything went smooth but like you can't just focus on the negative things and like the things that are wrong all the time it's like it's 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 a messy place to be you know like we've all been there yeah yeah uh i'll tell you i don't i don't really have like a an elegant pivot for this but it's something i was thinking about like three minutes ago and i don't want to lose it and so i think this point of connection that maybe we all share is kind of like an intention an intention-based way of living or an attempt at an intention-based way of living. And uh, man, if you're cool that I'd I'd love to kind of just explore a little bit because we're talking about like these differing perspectives and like coming from different places. And it seems like, like Wade, your approach to life has been, you know, pretty succinctly influenced you know, like, like all of us are like by our parents, right. And your parents were immigrants. Your parents were first generation Americans. And like, you've talked to, I hope I'm not exposing too much, but like you've talked, you know, like kind of throughout the weekend about how there was this, uh, you know, this kind of like high demand on like a, a certain kind of, of perceived success. And even though you went a different path, I, I'm just struck by like that work ethic seems like it permeates throughout you, you know, and it's, it's especially, it's especially well served towards like a kitchen environment and also could, could lead to like a, uh, I don't know what you call it, a perversion of it or just like taking it too far and like oh. that lack of perspective. Yeah. No, it's, it's this like, it's the, um, you know, you could always do better kind of like upbringing, right? So no matter what, is like there was a goal and if you, until you got to that goal, it wasn't enough. You know, it was like, I needed to be a doctor or a lawyer or some sort of other high paying white collar job to define success. You know, it was very much like the classic first generation Asian parent parenting style. You know, I was like, you need good grades. You need to go to college. You need to go to grad school. You need to get a good job. You need to make a lot of money and then you could relax and be happy. Right. And it's like, there was not a lot of focus on like, what makes you actually happy? And I don't, I didn't know what makes me happy. Like, I know what makes me happy right now, but like, it was just like work. What make what makes you happy right now? Hunting, fishing, Rachel, like meeting people, having conversations like this. Honestly, like my whole life was until fairly recently, was just like, keep pushing yourself as hard as you can to get to the next spot so you can get to the next spot so you can get to the next spot whatever that may be you know income wise accolades whatever you know and there was not a lot of focus on like do you 
do you like getting up in the morning? You know, like, are you, are you sick for it? <laughs> you know, like, are you, do you want to get up and do the day? Like, it was always, in the future, things will be good if you just grind it out now. And, like, don't get me wrong, there were a lot of things that I took from that parenting style that, like, worked out great. You know, like, I do have a good work ethic. Like, I grind it out as hard as anybody else. And I am really good at problem solving. You know, like, that's that was most of my job is, like, managing people, solving problems. Like, the creative part was fun. I love it. But, like, to be real, like, restaurant work is mostly managing misfits you know it's like yeah, yeah, yeah how do i it's like where where is this person's not here it's like well call their girlfriend they're not there call the jail call the hospital you know it's like yeah, those yeah. are the three places they're going to be right it's like you know like that's the honest truth like that's the order of operation dude you're kind of making me feel like a little bit nostalgic i mean it's it's better when you look back on it than when you're in dude, it that's definitely. for sure yeah yeah no, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I had a lot of great experiences. I met some people that are near and dear to me. Like, some, a handful of people I'm glad I met because I would have never met them outside of that environment. You, you met know? some scumbags, though, too, didn't you? Uh, no, it, it gave me a very jaded view on uh, on people, you know? Like, it's, I don't want to get too deep into it, but, sure. like, it's, it's a rough place, you know? And it's a self, it's a... It's a it's an industry that eats itself, you know. Like it's just you treat people like they're temporary, and they treat you like you're temporary, and it just it just that's the cycle, you know. I think it's changing a lot now. I'm glad I'm not part of it, but I like seeing the change that's happening. You know, like people are being held accountable, people are being treated like people. You know, they're not just warm bodies that you can just use up and throw away. You know, it's like these are people. They're real. They're like you. You know, like I think when people treat people like like themselves like it's like the most like basic human lesson it's like treat people the way you want to be treated right and it's like pretty simple like i wouldn't want somebody to treat me the way i treated some people back in the day like i'll admit that like i had to be pretty brutal it was it was not fun yeah so like i think kind of what we're approaching too is that there's you know hunting is a weird thing because I mean, we're sitting here waxing poetic about all this stuff and, and like, I think we're probably all finding, you know, simultaneously like strength and peace in an inherently like violent enterprise, you know, like it's, it's, which actually is really appealing to me because I love a, a good juxtaposition, you know, uh, and you know, like, like hunting ducks the last couple of couple of days you know like i understand why someone wouldn't get it i understand why someone wouldn't think it's like beautiful and romantic and poetic but that's how i see it like you were talking about like that you felt like you got a glimpse of who i was like with me running a call you know because that is like and i hadn't really thought about that before but i think that's super true you know, like, like I played music for a long time and I feel like running a call is kind of the same way. Like you get into it, you're interacting with these, these living creatures, uh, in an incredibly intimate way. And I'm not, I'm not thinking about all that other shit, 
you know i'm thinking about like the rhythm of the ticka 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 you know and i'm and i'm i'm just having like a visceral excitement when like i break them and they turn on corners you know and i'm like oh they're coming they're coming they're coming get ready get ready get ready and there's almost like this you know i can even get kind of pushy with it you know like get a gun in your hand you know it's like i'm kind of barking at people a little bit sometimes because i'm just so enamored with the whole process of it and then them almost doing it and then not doing it five times in a row it makes that sixth time when they do it like magic it's like you finally got your wand to work and you know you abracadabbered it uh and it like I said, you know, you're you're killing something, but there's there's it's kind of like this meditative moment. Uh and then I think a lot of it is how you approach it. Like you can approach it as dominion over something and domination over something, or you can approach it as being part of something. And it's I think it's obviously it involves food, but it's super analogous to food. Like, you know, you can be in a restaurant environment that's incredibly toxic and it can be that like, I've never yes chefed anybody in my life, you know, but like that militaristic, like you're going to grind, you're going to break somebody down to turn them into what you want them to be. Or it's like grandma's chicken and dumplings because mm-hmm. there's nothing in that but like love and emotion and connection. Uh, and that's those are the meals that you remember. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I think w- anybody that has a craft or a passion that they share with others, you know, like I think it, if they're truly passionate about it, it comes through, you know, like I love cooking for friends, you know, like that's like, I like cooking for friends more. I like cooking for myself. I mean, honestly, like if I'm just cooking for myself, like Rachel's out doing something and that's just me and I'm like, I'll heat up some leftovers. I'll eat some ramen. I'm just like, I'm going to try to get some work done and just like eat because I have to eat. Right. But like sharing my experiences and my story and like how I feel if I'm feeling good you, the food's pretty elaborate you know if I'm feeling rough it's like you know, put the 7-Eleven you know, burrito in the microwave on like nine and just like destroy it you know it's just like it's I'm gonna hurt myself you know <laughs> um there's just there's there's a you know that, that passion just like it just bleeds out into things that you do that you care about. And I think the people around you, if they, they know you or they, you know, they could feel that, you know, like, you know, I don't know. Like I, I like seeing people in their element doing the thing they love to do, what, whatever it is, even if I'm not all that interested in it or like have no interest in doing it myself, like people talking about, their experiences in a way where like they let their guard down and they're like, I was stoked on this. I'm excited about this. And I think, you know, back to the restaurant thing is like that it, I was stoked on cooking food. You know, we were both pretty into food for the longest time. Well, we still are. Yeah, we are. But like, you know, it's like when you, when you have to worry about like, am I going to get a bad Yelp review? Is this person going to like their food? Are they upset? You know, like it just, like you were saying, like you get, kind of worked up about like, Hey, am I providing a quality experience? Am I meeting their expectations? You know, it's like, you can't you kind of get in your own way and you just kind of make it unfun. You know, like the first couple of years, you know, I was working in a restaurant. I was like, dude, this is great. You know, like I have f- f- full control over everything. I can do whatever I want. I can order whatever I want and cook whatever I want. 
my buddies, you know, he's like, you got somebody else's dream job. I'm like, you're right. You know, like it was just like, it was great until I had to worry about, you know, the bottom line, other employees, the reviews, you know, whatever, you know, like all the other external factors I wasn't doing. It wasn't just for me anymore. It wasn't just like, am I having fun? Am I enjoying it? It was like, this is just, this is for somebody else now. And uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to get to that point ever again. You know, like whatever I do, whatever I end up doing, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe tomorrow I start writing vegan cookbooks, you know. Like I want it to be like me and I want to be excited about it. I don't want to just do it because I have to do it. Yeah, you know, and I I think it's easy to to look at like a sentiment like that and then think about it being like, you know, that's a point of privilege. Like, I don't, I don't have that option. I've got a, I've got a bottom line I got to make, you know, like we've, we've, we're talking about that. Like we've all, we all, I mean, none of us are, are fully making our living in this space. You know, we're all doing other things to like provide and put food on the table and take care of the people like ourselves and the people that we're responsible for. But, you know, no, I'll take that back. Like it is, it is such a distinct privilege to get to try and build a life that you're proud of and you're happy with. And, uh, and I, I think like the struggle in that, and I'll speak for myself that the, maybe the hardest part of that is being able to be happy with it. Like just to be able to enjoy the quiet moments and to, uh, you know, just be content. You know, I think to me, that's what being, I think happy is is something else. Like, you know, like I strive for contentment. I strive just to be at peace with myself. And I think that's what like the woods and the water have have helped me maybe get a little bit of a handle on is because I'm not worried about most of the time. I'm not worried about other people. I'm just existing. And I'm, and to exist is inherently natural, you know, and it connects you to every sentient being that's ever been in this place. And yeah, I think there's like peace and contentment to that. And yeah, I do lament and struggle with balancing that, you know, especially as like you become more visible or people are looking to you for guidance or something, uh, and if and if you want to be able to provide that for people, like you've got to be all right with yourself, and you've got to find your little slice of contentment. Uh, so we're obviously we're talking about food a whole bunch, uh, and I've been I've been super kind of touched by the meals that we've had this uh, this weekend. Uh, Rachel, what do you think? Like, you do you mind describing a little bit some of the food that we've eaten and just. I don't know. Maybe just like describe the food we've eaten a little bit and I bet it'll make some cool stuff come out. Oh man. So let's see, we got here on Friday. Yep. 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 And that was your elk that you just dragged out of the mountains the other day, that backstrap. Yeah. With, with help. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. It was, there's a, there's a lot of Jonathan sweat involved in the procurement of that elk for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I mean, that was in your truck, what, hours earlier, days earlier? Oh, no, I, like, went and pulled it out of the cooler and then, like, rinsed it off and patted it dry. Yeah. And stuck it on that smoker that me and my buddy made. Yeah, so, I mean. Yeah, that was a, that was a hell of a welcome. You are like, I got to go to the cooler. You can give me a hand. I was like, just pulling elk back straps out of this cooler out of the back of the truck. And I'm like, I just met this guy. This is great. Yeah, yeah, no, and the greens and beans. Yeah, 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 de- de- decidedly arkansas oh yeah no i mean that was incredible it was so nice like when you come into a new place and to eat something that is definitively of that place right Mm -hmm. not the elk is but the elk is your elk and it's you know it's something that you have brought to the table through your own effort and then you know the peas and the greens and just everything about Walking into a place that smells incredible, that already feels like home with somebody that you've never met, but who already feels like a friend. And, you know, you have all of these elements in place on the table, right? Um, And, you know, to be able to come into that was such a, just a really wonderful, welcoming way to come into the weekend. Um, And then, you know, yesterday we had uh, pho for dinner um, and we brought that up. Um, Wade and I can... Uh, every year a lot of stock and broth um, and so what we do kind of is like a convenience food for us is we'll can faux broth so we brought some of that up um, and so we had kind of our Arkansas Vietnamese dinner last night yeah with like Canada like braised Canada goose like legs and thighs mm-hmm. uh, yeah and like like Wade just like really quickly seared the outside of a of a Canada goose breast and then like slice it up rare and then like put it in Put it in the deal and uh, put that hot broth on it. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's all been, like, comfort food, right? Oh, yeah. It's all been stuff that, you know, like, probably reminds us of somebody we really care about or, like, some important memory. Yeah, no, I think food is extremely expressive. And, you know, like, don't get me wrong when you're like, hey – you know, everybody's going to chip in a little bit on the food and bring stuff. And I was like, all right, cool. Absolutely. Right. But I'm like, what am I going to bring? I'm like, all right, maybe some crown roast, you know, like make some like demi-gloss and like get real fancy on it. And I was like, you know what? Like, I want to bring what I want to eat and what I want to share. You know, I'm like, like, wait, no, keep it real dog. Cause you've had this like charcuterie deal. That's next level. Yeah. Well, I mean like I already had that made. So like, I, I just had to, I just had to pack that up. You usually see the fridge at home. It's ridiculous. It's just full of meat. That's been cured, <laughs> but you know, like I want, I wanted to like, you know, we're meeting for the first time. I meet, you know, we Mar- Martin and Douglas. I met them for the first time mm-hmm. too, you know, this weekend. And it's like, what do I want to bring? It's like, well, it's going to be cold. Hot food sounds good. I've never had a bad bowl of pho, like anytime, you know, no matter where I got it. And, um, and like, I think it's pretty representative of me and Rachel. You know, it's like, this is what we like to eat. You know, this is how I grew up eating. This is some of the best meals I had growing up. It's like eating pho that my mom made, you know, like. Did did those Canada's come from like George Washington's farm kind of deal? Yeah, yeah. You know, they came from the place we hunted. You know, like that broth is made with ducks and geese that we shot on, you know, off of creeks off the Potomac. You know, it's like, it's like our, where we hunt. You know, like brought what we have from where we are from here to share with you. You know, and like, dude, that's super. 
That's super duper special, man. Yeah, but like you know, like it, it all clicked. But like I didn't like go through that whole stream of thought before I did it. I wasn't like, all right, what, what's well, like it's the, instinctive. Well, yeah, but like it's not like, oh, what's the terroir that I'm trying to bring to Arkansas? You know, like I'm not I didn't make a replica of uh, our kitchen table. You know, like to serve all this stuff on. Yeah, but I think that when you when you bring your authentic self, you also bring your authentic story. And I think that you know by bringing the pho, which is something that we eat all the time at home. You know, that is kind of, you know, bringing everybody's stories here together was kind of the thing that we did this weekend, right? I mm. mean, everybody here at The Revival, everybody's got their own story. You know, you did, you invited some very cool people, us excluded, of course, you know. No, no, it's uh, like, <laughs> I, I keep talking about curating stuff, dude. Like, mm -hmm. the, the, the Revival is its, I mean, it's in some ways like an inherently selfish enterprise because I'm just like... How can I get people that I think are cool to hang out with me? I was like, I'll give them a fucking free. Oh, I, I probably shouldn't have said the F word. I'll give them a free hunt. You know what I mean? Like people will probably show up to Arkansas to shoot greenheads. And then I get to hang out and talk to and eat with and just like kick it with people that I think are red. Well, to be fair, I think Martin's pastries like definitely pay for itself. Next like, level, dude. Re mm -hmm. Ridiculous. Like this guy's just casually walking around coming out with like the nicest pastries I've ever seen, you know, just like magically making them appear in yeah. duck camp. Yeah. Yeah. Like Japanese milk bread danishes with like, like whiskey infused cream and spiced pears and like glaze. Was, yeah. I mean, and look, and to be fair, like that's an inherently selfish enterprise enterprise too. Cause I didn't like, I didn't invite someone from Mima's bakery, you know, like I invited arguably like one of the most, uh, I mean, I think it'd probably be fair to say, man, that he's probably one of the more influential bakers in America right now. If you look at his platform and like his work with King Arthur, uh, and you know, his authorship and like his, uh, his work, like on the world baking scene. Uh, so yeah, like I was in the back of my head, I was like, man, I want some biscuits from this dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you, you know, you mentioned selfish, you know, and I think that selfishness gets a bad rap, right? It's like, that means you're not caring about other people. It's just mm -hmm. kind of like the implication, but everything we do is selfish, right? Like we, even if it is selfless to some degree, it's like, Hey, you know, hunting is conservation, you know, like I'm helping the poor, I'm helping the homeless. I'm, I'm, you know, volunteering all this stuff. It's like, you're doing it because it feels good to you because those are your values. Right. And it's like, Everything we do is selfish to some degree. Like hunting, you know, is selfish. You do it because you love doing it, you know. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. You know, I I think I think you got to look after yourself. You know, it doesn't mean putting yourself before everybody else. It's not one or the other, but it's like you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. Yeah, and if that means surrounding yourself with people that you think are really interesting, then by all means, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that's a great perspective. Yeah, Wade, you said something when we were, like, putting waiters on this morning, and you were like, you know, that, like, and I'm paraphrasing here, and feel free to correct me, but it's like, you know, life is about building these concentric circles, right? So it's, like, inherently has to be, like, based in the eye. Yeah. And then it's based around, like, who do I love? And like, who do I care about and who do I feel some responsibility to? You know what I mean? Uh, 
and then those circles keep it's it's just like you know ripple effects throwing a stone into a pond and they pretty soon the entire thing is affected but it started with this this one point of contact uh man yeah we've gone on on a decidedly romantic route with all of this uh that I'm into man like it's I mean if I'm being selfish like I would like the hunting space to be a little bit more like this because then I think it would be I think that more people you know maybe it's like I feel like more people would understand and appreciate what I think I'm starting to understand and appreciate about it is that yeah this is you know, we talk a lot about like hunting and the connection of food. I think it's even beyond that. It's like a, a quest for connection, right? Connection of self, connection to the world around you and connection of people. Like, you know, I've got a friend that says that no one would hunt if it wasn't for the stories, right? Like what's like, what's kind of the raddest thing? Like after you finish a hunt, like you get to tell stories and you get to share that meat with people that you care about. Like you won't ever give that meat to anybody that you think is a dirt bag. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I, I read a book and I wish I could recall the title right now, but it was about, it, it was an older man telling the story about his son coming of age and coming into the hunting sphere. It was an older book. And in it, he describes his son returning from his first hunt without his dad and coming back to camp and he calls it song feast is when all the different hunters come back around the fire and they're telling their story of their day and it comes before dinner as the song feast mm. and everybody feasts on each other's stories and how meaningful that was to that particular hunting camp to have song feast right and i think that like when we talk about food as a means of connection I think that a lot of times we're kind of obliquely skirting the hunting as tradition narrative because that's been something that's been used for a really long time as, you know, hunting is tradition, hunting is heritage, right? And it is for a lot of folks, but it's not for everybody, right? Like hunting is not heritage or tradition for Wade or I. And so it's, it's never been a selling point for us, right? But the further we get into the hunting community, as much as it's the food that drew us in, it's the community that's keeping us here. And the connections that we've made with other hunters and you know, people adjacent to the hunting sphere, it, it's been a incredibly rewarding aspect of our lives that we would have never come to without getting into hunting. The people that we've met, the experiences that we've had with them. And I feel like, getting back to why we do Elevated Wild and what we do, it is almost kind of like our song feast. You know, we get to come back and kind of show everybody what we've been up to. And we get to meet really incredible people like you, you know, through the work that we do. And it's it's been something that's been transformative. And so, you know, it almost seems like, mentally to me, it almost seems like sacrilege to say hunting is about community because it's been so, it was very far from how I got into it. Mm -hmm. But I think the longer you spend in this community, the more you realize that the, the food is a part of the community, but the food isn't all of it. Yeah. And, you know, to add on to that, just a, just a little bit, but like, 
that sense of place and connectedness to the land and the animals and like everything else you know like we we love places that we would have never been otherwise you know like we've seen things that we would have never seen otherwise and like it just makes you feel it makes me i can't speak for anybody else it makes me feel more at home the more i do all of this you know it's like i just feel like i belong here doing this with these people and just building these relationships with the land and the people and like just there's a real sense of like connectedness and belonging and like it kind of scrubs away some of that crippling self-doubt you know that years of uh yeah yeah, yeah. years of grinding away have uh have accumulated well you know and this is like the first year that i've ever uh i've ever traveled to hunt you know this is the well, I guess now I'm in 2022, but like the last year, the first time I ever left Arkansas to hunt. And I've gotten to do quite a bit of it, actually. And uh, it's it's like simultaneously made the world bigger, like it's made my world bigger. And it's also convinced me that it's it's really like smaller because like everywhere I go. I mean, we've talked about, we've joked about like these summer camp vibes, right? Like you meet somebody and you have these like really intense conversations and you like feel like you really, really get to know them in a really short amount of time. And like that kind of always happens. And then that connection, that, uh, that intimacy then gets transferred to like the next relationship, you know? So like that elk that I killed in Utah, like I had this super kind of transformative and transmogrifying experience with this really awesome dude that like I was friends with and buddies with. And then like I left and he was like the homie. Right. And then that energy and, and I'm really not trying to be too precious about this, but like there is, I think there's a really tangible tactile transfer of energy and intention and emotion from that, like through that backstrap, putting it on that, big thing that looks like a steam engine in the back of black duck revival that uh me and this dude that i've known for 20 years built together you know and it's like so i'm taking something from little rock to north carolina back to little rock out to utah back to brinkley and like folks are coming from vermont and kansas city and virginia and it's all culminating in in just something so simple like a, a shared meal like meat cooked with fire and beans and collard greens, right? And then 48 hours later, you've had these experiences and you've you've seen like the sun glistening off all these birds' wings flapping around, right? And you've like heard these like percussive, repetitious calls. You know, we've talked about like how, how like calling ducks here is different than calling other places, you know? And like, uh and then you even see like the dudes I'm hunting with and like the relationships I've built with those guys and how like it started as one thing. And now it's like me being friends with this dude from like Baton Rouge, uh, who's like built his entire life around hunting speckle belly geese. Uh, and it's, it's special and it is romantic and it is precious and it is killing and it is dirty and it, you know, there's eyeballs and all sorts of weird stuff. Just like everything's kind of hanging out and 
you kind of get to be all right with it. And, and like, man, what a place it would be if we were just kind of all, all right with just stuff hanging out, you know? Absolutely. Uh, well, since we're recording it, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to make this happen. We've discussed uh, Beaver Fest 2022 in Virginia later on next month. Uh, if I can get the okay from my incredibly patient and uh, amazing wife, I'm going to come to Virginia and we're going to uh, get on these beavers. Uh, man, we, we actually before... So anyway, I'm talking about this because like Wade has become, Wade and Rachel have become like these experts in trapping beavers in uh, Virginia. And they're, you know, they're putting up like big numbers. Like how many did y'all say you got last year? Like, I don't know. They're like big numbers. I, I trapped as many as I would want to skin in a year. I mean, could you fill up the bed of a truck with as many beavers as you got? Um, it, yeah. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot, right? And yeah. And I'm so into it because it's something that people treat so derisively and like act like they have no worth. And I mean, you know, the Western expansion of North America is based around these animals. They're amazing and they taste really good. Yeah. Uh, so if we could, I had you do it on video the other day, man, but this is in reference to it, man. Like describe some of that charcuterie that you bought. Cause like we were in there a couple hours ago, like after this fun hunt, like eating Ritz crackers and Cracker Barrel cheese and then like the most amazing cured meats I've ever had in my life. And some of it was beaver meat. Yeah. So we had um, like a beaver Lebanon bologna, traditional um, fermented smoked salami, you know, like Pennsylvania Dutch style. Venison, summer sausage, also fermented and dry cured, you know, cold smoked. Then uh, I brought the venison copa. Uh, it's a venison and pork fat that's been kind of fused together over time. You know, there's again just these are all like salt fermented dry cured products uh the beaver prosciutto which hung for about a year and then equalized for another six nine months that's pretty what is what does that mean equalized uh so like you know i basically back seal it throw it in a fridge so that the moisture content can evenly distribute itself because the outside you know it's going to get more air exposure it's going to be a little drier than the inside potentially you don't really know until you kind of slice it open. I just usually play it safe. So, like, the idea of, like, waiting a year and a half to try something was, like, not really on my radar, you know, a long time ago. Like, I needed things done in seconds and minutes. You know, like, this is – that was kind of like a – I need to just forget about this project thing. But um, what else do we have? We had the Venison Land Jaeger. Um, and uh, there's one more, right? Do you have a Soprasetta? Yeah, the Cicadier Soprasetta. That's a like a softer style, um, again, fermented salami, very light on the spices. Um, you know that that was one of that was probably off of Rachel's first secret deer. It's just like you just let the meat speak for itself. You know, it's just like that's what that animal tastes like when you you put it, you know, in a fermentation stage for a while and let it hang. And dude, that that's worth actually touching on real quick before we wrap stuff up. Like that, like Rachel's become like you know, the Sika deer whisperer. And you're talking about like this (laughs) little elk from Japan that's running around the marshlands of like Virginia and Maryland. Mm -hmm. All right. And these are like, that was another point of connection is like, you know, like you, you're describing yourself as like a marsh person and I'm very much a bayou person. And these are both places where like, 
the land meets the water and kind of like flattens out. Right. But like, that's, I've seen some videos and, and such on it. Like that seems like really hard hunting. Yeah. It's not easy, but like a lot of things that are hard, it's completely and totally worth it. I think that the Sika hunting is probably my favorite thing that we do all year. And, you know, we go out there for lately, we've been spending a whole week running a house, you know, doing the whole thing. And it's just, it's beautiful country. I know everybody, you know, there's a lot of folks in love with the mountains. I, I'm a marsh person and we've been talking about it all weekend, but I love the stark beauty of the marsh. I love the pines. I love everything about this transitional zone that is just so rich with life. And then, you know, where we are, we're close to where we are. We have a imported population of Sika deer that have been running wild since the 1920s and they're huntable. And hunting them is really, it, it's something that, I don't know that there's anything else quite like it on earth, just because of the location that they're at. You know, you can hear the Atlantic Ocean crashing on the beach from your tree stand overlooking a marsh. You're watching all these migratory waterfowl move up and down the coast, and you're hearing these tiny little elk bugling. And they call them marsh ghosts. And it's is it, a, is it like a high-pitched bugle? Oh, yeah. It's like this really eerie shriek and it's piercing and unless they're right up on top of you it always sounds like they're kind of far away yeah you know it it almost sounds like it's coming through time rather than space if that makes sense like you're you're hearing it from like a different say yeah it's just it's a very eerie eerie sound and you know they're they're very nocturnal you very rarely see them during the day and they're just gorgeous creatures they're adaptable. They're incredibly rugged and resilient. And being able to hunt them in this very liminal zone, right? I mean, you're between, you know, the bay and the ocean. You're between marsh and, you know, a pine stand. Everything about, and then, you know, they, they're only active at dawn and dusk. So everything about a Sika hunt is very much this kind of liminal transitional space that you're in. You're hunting something that's not supposed to be there, but is, and somehow it just fits. Are you, so are you hearing them, targeting them, and then slipping up on them? It depends on the time of the year. You know, if we're catching them during the rut, we, um, we play kind of like a turkey hunt as much as we can, you know, like locate, you know, and try to set up and call it in. But if they're not, if they're not talking, it's a little more, a little more white tail ambushy, mm-hmm. but you just you so in that situation you like set up on some sort of like natural travel corridor or a pinch point and kind of wait for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really it's it's a lot of fun, and you've got the ability to, you know, depending on what's happening, you know, with whitetail hunting, at least on you know where we are, there's no like spot and stock. There's no you know locate. You just you just kind of sit there and you hope that they walk by you. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the Sika deer, it is really fun because you have the ability. It's kind of a choose your own adventure, what you want to do with them. Um, and the, the terrain, it's pretty, I mean, it's flat, but it's there's some nasty stuff out there. It's it's pretty thick. You know, it's just like. It's yeah, briars and phragmites yeah, the, the more whole time, way. The more time you spend out there, the more you appreciate the animal because you're like, how can anything make it out here? You know, like, it's not lush, you know, it's, there's not a lot of forage for them. And it's like just oceans of briar and cord grass. And it's just like, how can anything, you know, eke out a living out here? But like they're thriving, you know, like there's, 
like i mean there's just sign everywhere and you you see them you know at night when you're driving out of the place but like they're everywhere but like they're nowhere at the same time you know it's marsh ghosts yeah yeah that's like i remember telling my dad like that uh hunting whitetails here in arkansas and like thick stuff i was like man it's like hunting unicorns or something because then they're, they're just not there and then they're there mm-hmm. yeah. and it's like you might not even see them come in but you can like remember like old tube tvs and you could go in a house and even if the volume was turned down you could feel that a tv was on yeah yeah it's like it's like that you'll you'll just like turn your head and it'll be there uh and then yeah and then you kind of get to see what you're made of like and a lot of it's like can i keep it together for the next 30 seconds in, in order to to do it like what i need to do yeah uh well, man, y'all are rad. I'm so appreciative that you guys came out here. Uh, it's It's been a really great hunt and a super cool hang. And uh, it's, man, I'll tell you what, it is so gratifying to, like, think and suspect that people are really cool and then meet them and be like, oh, man, they're cooler than I thought. You know, like, so uh, I, I think it's it's all right to, to meet your heroes sometimes, you know, cause like sometimes they're redder than you thought they were. So, and you guys are definitely, uh, super duper red. So anyway, uh, elevated wild, uh, what's the best way for people to follow you, see what you guys are up to check out some of these phenomenal recipes that Rachel is developing. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, get in touch with you guys. I know that I know Wade, you're starting to offer some like, cooking courses and some deer butchery courses and stuff this year. And I hope that kind of stuff continues and continues to evolve. Yeah. I think, um, you know, best way if you're on social would be at elevated wild and on uh, the website, elevatedwild.com. And, um, we have a newsletter you can sign up for. That's where we announce all the classes, the demos and things like that, you know, that we're going to be putting together in the future. And we had a great time doing our first classes this year and, just really want to do more of them, you know, it's, it's kind of like this, you know, just meeting people who are excited and want to learn and, you know, ask questions, you know, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having us on. This yeah. has been, oh, yeah, I mean, no, for sure. This it, weekend has been wild. Yeah. No, and we, in an elevated way. Yes. <laughs> it's been elevated wild. We've been pinkies out the whole time. That's right. <laughs> no, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah, no, I mean, this exceptional you know like it's been a it's been a great weekend and i you know i can't wait to come back honestly yeah well you got an open invitation uh oh speaking of that so like if we definitely do the beaver fest 2022 yeah yeah but but there's a caveat you got to come turkey hunting with me out there in the spring at some point in time all right i'll do that (laughs) uh yeah hopefully by then i've got this kind of van build out thing done i'm trying to i've got I've got clients like for one more weekend and then the seats are all coming out of that, uh, that black duck revival van. I'm going to build a platform so I can sleep in there, you know, and, uh, carry gear underneath it. And yeah, there's a, I'm planning Turkey tour 2022 as well. Uh, I'm basically just trying to set my whole life up to a, where I just get to bebop around and hang out with cool people and hunt in rad places. So I'm going to do that as for as long as I can get away with it. And, uh, it is conducive to being married and having children. And, uh, yeah, you guys are definitely like in the fold. Like I told you the other day, man, you guys are the homies now. So 
anyway so yeah please uh check out elevated wild rachel and wade thank you so very much and thank you everyone for listening until next time Thank you so much again for listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. So we've been talking a bunch uh, in the last few weeks about hunt school dates that are coming up. Those are still a few weeks away from being released, but I am happy to announce that uh, the books are open for the guided catfish excursion starting the spring. Uh, best time of year of that is going to be March, April, May, and into early June. So if that's something that you're interested in, uh, you can log on to the website and find out uh, all the information uh, you might want to know about that. That website is just blackduckrevival.com. You can also sign up for the email list if you're interested in being the first to know about when those hunt school dates come out as well. Uh, if you want to keep up with me and all things Black Duck Revival, please uh, feel free and uh, thank you ahead of time. Uh, easiest way to find me is on social media. I'm most active on Instagram and that's just Black Duck Revival. And here in the coming weeks and months, uh, there'll be uh, kind of an uptick in the content that gets posted there. Uh, I've got uh, a couple of new projects that I'm working on that I'm excited to start sharing with folks uh, here pretty soon. So, uh, Again, as always, I thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you uh, like it and you want more people to know about it, please take a minute, leave a five-star review. Uh, a quick written review helps tremendously as well. Just keep listening. Keep telling people about the podcast. It's definitely growing. Uh, I'm looking at the numbers and they're going up. So thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time.